Hi, I'm Liddy Pickens. And I'm Mark Sayers. And we're here to tell you about a new podcast called The Living Temple, produced by Red Church. It's a conversation between us. It's for people who are hungry for a deeper walk with God. For people who want to follow Christ in real life. And you can find it now on iTunes or Stitcher. What is Stitcher? I don't know. I had to say it because everyone yeah, else does. They really do. We'll find out. See you soon. You are listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, it's good to be back in the saddle. Uh, Thank you. One person is happy. Um, After uh, a month uh, overseas and uh, as a family, which was two ministry trips and a a sort of holiday in the middle, and um, we just had an incredible time as a family. Um, And we had an incredible time, obviously, doing the holiday things that you do, but we had an incredible time seeing what God is doing in the world. Um, There's a whole bunch of stories that God did while we were away. One of them was the video you saw there with grace being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, So many interesting things. We got prayed for uh, by a bishop of a church in Nigeria, which has a prayer meeting, and we're hearing about this. So basically, we didn't know who this guy was, and we're at this, this speaking at this festival, Wildfires, and like some of the leaders and the speakers are invited now to be prayed for by this guy uh, who's a bishop, and like, here's a prayer meeting, and I'm like, well, we've got a prayer meeting. Um, and like, his prayer meeting is a monthly prayer meeting of one million people. And you're just like, what? Um, and he also then flies to London and does another one in London, which is 40,000 people, and they sort of, you know, rent out the equivalent of the sort of Telstra Dome there or Marvel Stadium or whatever. And uh, you just realise that God's on the move in the world. What I love too is like, um, yeah, so we have an annual prayer meeting, and that's three to four million people. And I'm, I'm sitting there, like I'm amazed, but my head's just doing the mental math. Like, where do you gather these people? And he answered the question. He's like, well, we built a building. And I'm like, Okay, keep going. This is what I'm thinking in my head. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's three kilometers by three kilometers. I'm like, what on earth? So I actually had to Google this. And it exists. It's just, it's just mad, the things that God is doing around the world. And I had the privilege for him to pray. And he prayed over a bu- me and, and my friend John Markoma and Trudy and, and a bunch of leaders in the UK. And the thing he said is, he said that what he felt, he flew to England simply to do this, which was just incredible. From, he was in Thailand, flew to England, and he said the reason was that he felt that what had happened a hundred years ago is that the gospel had gone out from the West to the ends of the world. But now, in a sense, what's happening in the West is it's like we've forgotten some of that. And what God's doing in the world now is now it's actually time to return the favor. So he flew to come back to pray for us as a bunch of church leaders in the West that what's happening in places like Nigeria, that that will be released amongst us. That's just one story of what God is up to in the world. Well, I'm excited. I get to come in and speak at the end, the pen- not the penultimate, the ultimate Sunday in this, in this more series, which has been building up to the story we have in Acts chapter 2. And if you do have a Bible, um, please open it to Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to just refer to it, but I'm going to sort of go just right away, but I'm going to do a little bit of a background, but then we will be looking at it. And 
as Britt said, this is a story that we have to look at in the context of what God has done throughout the history of the world. And this concept of the Spirit and asking for more of the Spirit, which we've been looking at, begins straight away in Scripture. The beginning story of the cosmology of the world begins with the Spirit. And the Spirit is hovering over an unformed mass. And straight away we get this little clue of what the Spirit does. The Spirit, the Ruach in the Hebrew, this breath, this wind, this force of God. But it's not just a force, it's actually part of the Trinity. It's not the force in Star Wars, it's a person. The sense that when that, that, that spirit, that breath, goes over an unformed mass, it transforms it. Did you get that? Unformed mass and chaos gets transformed when the spirit breathes on it. Culture at times feels like an unformed mass or chaos. Your life at times feels like an unformed mass or chaos. When that comes into connection with the Spirit, something gets birthed. After that, the creation of the world, we then have the Spirit again when God takes earth and blows into it. And that Ruach breath breathes into humanity And spirit meets earth and humanity is born. Unformed mass, spirit, new creation. And what happens is this breath which animates and makes us alive and quickens our spirit and makes us human. Humans undergo a rebellion against this. And in a sense, we choose, that's the series we're in, we choose not to breathe the air. I've been on a lot of planes lately, and often you think about when they're going through that safety demonstration, I always feel guilty. They always say, like, please put your... They're now getting more strict. They're like, take your headphones out. Some airlines, they walk up and down, take your headphones out, watch us. And that sense, like, man, if that thing's coming down, I am breathing it. Like, I'm going to breathe that oxygen. But humanity in the garden, when it shows its own way and listens to the serpent's statement... Or question, what if you could be like God's? We chose to try and animate ourselves through our own spirit. The human spirit disconnected from God. We chose not to breathe in the heavenly oxygen of the spirit. And this has had profound effects in the world. This creates the cascading series of disasters we call the fall. This is the reason why there is chaos and hurt and pain and injustice and brokenness and lostness in the world because we refuse to do it in God's strength, trying to do it in our own strength. We're trying to run off our own oxygen tanks instead of connecting to God's spirit, which is what makes us human. We simply just want earth or unformed chaos and we take God's breath away. And when you take the breath away, if spirit plus unformed mass or earth equals new creation, when you take spirit away, you're just left with unformed mass. You're just left with chaos. So that's what the fall is. That's what sin is. That's what humanity does. Now, because of this act of rebellion, God chooses to squash this thing, rip up the plans bowl us into the outer reaches of the universe, forgetting about us, letting us be an unformed mass. But God is love. God loves the world. John tells us in the most famous of verses, John 3, 16. 
That is a central organizing principle in the world. God loves the world, and not only does love the world on a macro level, he actually loves you. And so what we're preaching today is those two stories. God loves the world, and he, God loves, he loves you, and that's the story of the Spirit. And because God loves the world, and he loves you, he wasn't content to stay distant. And the concept and the language of breath and Spirit meets another analogy for God's Spirit, which is fire. And so fire begins to appear. Fire symbolizes God's presence in the world. To someone like Moses, in the unformed mass of the desert, spirit is there in the burning bush. God's living presence. Take off your shoes because, again, this is a holy place. It's an echo back to Eden when humans walked and breathed in the breath of God and were who they were created to be in connection with the God who loves them, their heavenly parent. And we see this great rescue act throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. As we read the story, the little fires take off, not with everyone, because humanity is still in profound rebellion and not wanting to breathe God's breath. But God sends messages People, people who have his spirit given to them. We have these little inklings of people like prophets, bands of prophets upon who the spirit comes, kings like David, who the Holy Spirit is put upon. And these figures, whoa, whoa, almost act like advanced guards. They're in a world which doesn't want to live by God's breath, which has rebelled against God's breath and his spirit and his presence. But these people have a connection almost to heaven, like a breathing apparatus, like an old school diving bell, where you actually, they're walking through the world and they look strange to people. And people look at these strange people who are choosing to live by the Spirit and the world rebels against them. Some people listen, some people turn, but it's all part of God's plan to fill you with His love, to fill the world with His love. This line of prophets speaks God's word, lives in the power of his spirit, points to a time when again God's spirit will fill the world, using terms like the day of the Lord, when again heaven and earth will be reunited and the spirit will connect humanity and God. One of the last in that line of prophets is a man who gathers almost the crystallization of discontent that's brewing where people in Israel are sick of living without God. And they went out to the desert places, to the unformed wastelands, crying out for the Spirit. John would baptize them in this sense of repentance. It was a baptism of repentance, a symbolic act of, I want to be washed clean of the sin and brokenness and rebellion that's characterized my life as I've tried to live without God's breath. These people desperately wanted the Spirit to return. And John looked like a prophet. Here's an icon of him. He's skinny. He covered himself in furs. He was like an ascetic living out in the desert, a countercultural figure. He ate honey and locust. Yum. <laughs> but he was not where things were going. It wasn't actually more asceticism. It wasn't more denial. It was actually time for a feast. 
Why was it a time for feast? Because John said, I'm baptizing you with water, but I'm just, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the sent one. I'm not going to bring the day of the Lord. Someone's coming after me. And he's going to baptize you with fire. He's going to bring the Spirit. He's going to initiate a new phase in the world. And there we see Jesus coming. God in human form. Yet so humble, he allows John to baptize him. What kind of leader is this? Gets on his knees in a river and is baptized. And this shows us something about the Spirit. It shows us the contours of how this is going to play out. Jesus doesn't return to the great palaces of Jerusalem or take a crown and a, and a, and a throne in the temple and ask everyone to bow at his feet. This story is happening subversively, quietly. Jesus, after three decades in anonymity, working a trade, showing what it looks like to be a humble human being but filled with the Spirit, then emerges into a public ministry. And he announces that a new phase shift has occurred in the world. The temperature has changed. Something has shifted. The tectonic plates have moved. A new epoch is here. The eon has changed because now something is breaking out in the world. What people hoped for, that time when the Spirit would come and change the world, it's happening. And it's like the two worlds, heaven and earth, are moving together. He stands up in the synagogue and announces that the year of the Lord's favor, what everyone was hoping for, has happened. The people don't get it instantly. There's an element where they like it and they're responding to it. But you know who gets it? The demons. Read Mark. Constantly. Chapters 1 to 4 to 5. People don't get who he is, but the demons understand that there's something happening in the spirit. Who are you? Have you come to destroy us? And what Jesus is doing, he's taking ground from the spiritual forces that occupy when we don't live by the spirit. And Jesus is coming, and he's coming after humanity because he loves you. And he's setting you free from the implications of your own rebellion. He's coming and he's doing a new thing. And because this thing, new thing's so epic and new and, and category shifting and, 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 and mindset exploding that he has to use a particular form of story to explain this. He doesn't come and go, here's my, you know, Greek philosophy tract about what's happened in the world like other philosophers did at that time. What he does is actually tell these stories and he does it with a particular strategy. He wants to know who is really interested in this. Who wants to keep living in the rebellion without God's breath in their lungs? And who is desperate to be filled with the Spirit? Some of the stories he tells is that this new phase in history, what God wants to do is like a sower throwing a new seed into the world. It makes it very clear that it's not like the Spirit's going to fall on everyone and everyone's going to get it instantaneously on planet Earth. It's not like a global atmospheric change where all of a sudden we swap oxygen or CO2 for like Holy Spirit. He talks about some people are going to get this seed of this new reality, this new era. And they're going to embrace it initially, but the cares of the world will mean that they don't follow it through. They think they want the breath, but then they get distracted. 
others will literally be caught in a spiritual battle where the enemy and the spiritual forces and the Satan that opposes us will actually take that away. Others will fall in love with money and the things of this world. Now, what's really interesting about this seed is that in Mark 4, he, he talks about the soul, but there's another little teaching, one story after about the seed. And he says, this seed, this new thing that the Spirit's to do in the world, it's so powerful, this seed, that it just multiplies and releases life. Did you know that they found in the Americas a necklace? I don't know if it was Mayan or Aztec, it was Mesoamerican, I think is the correct term. And they looked at it, and in the, in the necklace, it was like a rattle. So you'd walk around, and people go, wow, here comes that Mesoamerican cool person uh, with their necklace. It was over 600 years old. And they took it, and they thought, well, hang on, what would happen if these, like, how is it making this noise? And they realized that there were seeds in it. So they took one of these seeds, over 600 years old, and they planted it in the ground, and up sprang an incredible tree. Seeds are incredible potential. Humans propagate through distributing seeds. Very polite way of saying making love. (laughs) That's how new life is born. And so a seed has all of this potential in it. Jesus is saying this new phase is here, the kingdom of God has all this potential in it to do incredible things in your world. But God also then adds this concept that the soul is throwing it out in the world. But you need a combination. This seed needs to fall in a particular place. What the Spirit wants to do in this time and in this phase shift in reality is He's looking for good soil for people who are hungry and humble. Jesus dies on the cross. No one saw that coming. He told them. Many times. But their spirit still wanted for the things of the world. The brother Zebedee arguing, who's going to be at the right hand of God when his kingdom comes, not realizing that that could be actually on a rubbish dump outside Jerusalem. And that Jesus' right hand would actually be a thief being executed. And so all the thousands of people who followed Jesus disappear. The discipleship community around Jesus, maybe 100, 200 people, they disappear. The disciples, the 12, his elite core team, band of brothers, they disappear. Just a couple of the women hoping, loving, maybe just performing a sense of honor for someone who's passed, a dream gone. They're there. But Jesus, like a seed, is planted in the ground, in the dirt. This person who embodied a spirit-filled person, humanity and flesh, heaven and earth come together, that seed is put in the ground. And the good news is that Jesus was humble. He was hungry to see people like you and me in his kingdom again. And on the third day, that's all it took to germinate that seed out of the ground, sprung 
new life, new creation, a new world, resurrection reality. The Spirit resurrects Jesus from the ground. Again, this is so category shifting. The disciples don't know what to do. They don't know how to process this. They weren't expecting this. They couldn't see this coming. How do you hang out with a guy who was dead, is now walking around, who walks through walls and still has the scars in his body, this resurrection reality of where not Jesus went, but the whole of humanity is going, what a spirit-filled person looks like on the other side of resurrection. And so there's this really interim, interesting interim liminal space between Jesus' resurrection. He, for 40 days, teaches them the ways of the kingdom. But in a sense, the disciples are an unformed mass. What do they do? Where do they go? Jesus tells them at the beginning of Acts, you're going to be my ambassadors. You're going to be sent ones. But don't move. Don't leave Jerusalem until the Spirit comes in power. Jesus even says that this needed to happen, that it's actually good that he's going because now it's the time of the Spirit, the comforter, the counselor is coming. And so this group gather to celebrate in an upper room, hiding out. They're not at the temple, they're not at the palace, they're not at some leading synagogue somewhere. Where they are is in an upper room in a sense, hopeful but cowering. An unformed mass. And we think of Peter, bullheaded, denying Christ. We think of Thomas doubting, having to put his finger in the resurrected body of Jesus, his wounds. We think of those scrambling for places, this unformed mass, like us human, but almost, almost even more so. And as they pray, and remember God's goodness as they reflect upon the giving of the Torah law on top of the mountain. It's an upper room, a high place. And what this means is so important that high places are like temples. And now even grubby apartments can be temples where the Holy Spirit comes in power. Let's pick it up at Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Essential to realize that the Spirit comes when there's unity. We're all together in one place here. Outer East, 10 a.m., Mid-East, 5 p.m. Mid-East. Embryonic forms of new things that God wants to do. Suddenly, what a brilliant word, suddenly, not after their strategic plan was implemented, <laughs> not after PowerPoints were given, not after a strategic blog post was written and put up on LinkedIn, suddenly, suddenly, this is beyond their control. They're just in the position of being humble, hungry, unformed, human earth, a sound came like the blowing of a violent wind. It's ruach, but like mega. 
It came from where? Where does it come? This is so essential to understand. It comes from heaven. This is now heaven breaking in with force, suddenly violent, ruach, something has changed in the world, a new phase is beginning, the spirit is breaking through, and this is also heaven breaking through. Now listen to the next one. And what does this breaking through? It fills the whole house where they were sitting. Now you have to understand, there was this desire in the Jewish people. Ezekiel had seen the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, the Spirit of God, leave the temple because of Israel's disobedience. And the temple was just incredible. Solomon built this temple, Herod had improved it. Like that's the place where this is meant to go down. What everyone wished for was the Spirit suddenly and violently with fire and cherubim and seraphim and stuff happening and things flying around. It's like close encounters, like, like that happening. But it's going to happen in the holiest of holies in the temple. But where is it happening here? Phase shift, new moment, new epoch. It's actually happening just in some bloke's home. And we don't even know who the bloke is. This is how anonymous this thing is. Rocks up at an Airbnb. (laughs) It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Notice they're sitting. It's just interesting. This thing of sitting, waiting, humble. And then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that's separated. This is language. There's something spiritual happening. This is humans trying to grasp something happening. Tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, every one of them, every one of them, individually and corporately gets touched. This is the burning bush. This is the fire that led the people through the wilderness. This is the fire that comes down burns the pagan offerings in that power encounter in the Old Testament with God's prophets. This is the living presence of God. Now this isn't just a heavenly pyrotechnics for the sake of some spectacular show of force. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So it's not just an appearance of God, what in the technical terms is called a theophany, an appearance of God. This is a transformation. This is a filling. This is spirit meeting unformed mass, humans, earth, and creating something new. It doesn't just go, bam, this is not a flash in the pan. This is a changing. This is a filling. And now, if we just had the shocking thought that some bloke's upper room somewhere in Jerusalem, unheard of, we don't know what the street number is, some place, if that can be filled with the Holy Spirit, now we've got shock phase two, that actually individual believers can actually be mini temples and filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just the room, it's them. It's not this, this, it's you. And they began to do something strange. They began to speak in other tongues, tongues that is not them, tongues which are not their their speech. This is other languages that they don't know how to speak. This is people who couldn't speak Portuguese, speaking Portuguese. Portuguese didn't really exist at that time, but will continue. (laughs) And what's happening here is this is an undoing of what happened during that fall. One of those falls when humans rebelled and didn't want the breath. And what humans tried to do at that point was build a structure 
at Babel and build it to the sky. They wanted to get to heaven under their own spirit through building and technology and and getting together and having this rebellion against God, trying to build through their human spirit their own access point to heaven. To bring heaven down is actually more what it is in the Hebrew than actually going up. It's actually they wanted to bring heaven down and control it. Not these people, they're humble. They're a bit messed up. They're human, they're earthy. But they're hungry and humble. And when the Spirit meets unformed people who are hungry and humble, change happens. And so today, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have perfect mind which no bad thoughts come into. You don't have to have this togetherness. All you have to be is hungry and humble and bowing your knee at Jesus and wanting change. Wanting change. These guys have got no much left. They've left their families. They've followed this Messiah. Everyone knows that they're the weirdos who are following the the, the messianic figure, who's obviously not a messianic figure in the Jewish imagination because he's being killed on a cross. So they've got nowhere to go. These guys have got nothing left. So they're open and hungry for change. And Babel gets undone. And the division of humanity gets undone that happened at Babel. And what happens is humanity is now being put back together. Something is being birthed. Us here, different people, different ages, different ethnic backgrounds, different economic backgrounds, different life experiences. Here in Nanawari is part of that story. A Nigerian bishop flying half the world to me in a field in England with a group of other leaders is part of that story. Stuff is happening in other churches. Happened in this building yesterday with our brothers and sisters of the Adventist churches. That story is being told across the world. And so what happens is heaven comes down. This is the phase shift. And what this does is a moment when we are shown what it truly is to be a human being, of the direction in which we are to walk, which is this concept of living life in the spirit now. You can't live a life without that ruach breath. Trying to live anymore in doing it in your own lungs just leads to wheezingness and eventual death. You can only live and do what you have to do through God's spirit animating and living within you. So, you are being created as a new person. At this moment in the story, where is Jesus? Where did he go? Just before this, the disciples see Jesus ascend to where? The right hand of God. Jesus now is in heaven And that's not just a place you go when you die. Jesus is in heaven and he's got the controls of the universe. He's now controlling things. His lordship is over everything. And he has saved you and on the cross he died for you. And so when he looks at you, if you've accepted Jesus into your life, if you're hungry, if you're humble, if you realize you can't do it in your own strength and you want Jesus to do it in your life, when he looks at you, he doesn't see you with your brokenness and your messed upness. He sees you as you are at the right hand of God. So Jesus is looking at you 
And he's seeing something which you don't see when you look in the mirror. And when the voices come, why did I say that? This is who I am. I've got to get that right. Why did I do that? I'm rubbish. He doesn't hear those voices. In fact, we know in Scripture what is one of the names of Satan. Satan is Diablos, the devil, which means the accuser. So Jesus is actually showing you who you are in this new phase. Like, this is who you are at the end when you're fully remade in my image. So the Spirit comes and says to you, I want you now to walk as who you are. I want to come and empower you to walk as you, who, as who you truly are. My friend Jonathan Dodson says this, the most meaningful, creative, satisfying life possible is one lived here in the Spirit. Just pause. Do you really believe that? In Melbourne, 21st century, with all of the variant messages shown of you of what the good life is and what a successful person looks like, whatever version you like of what the world gives you, do you really believe that? The only way you can truly be who you are, the only way you can step into what God has for you is to live in the Spirit. That means your life is meaningful. If you want to be creative, connect to the Creator God who created the world as His Spirit hovered over the unformed earth. Satisfying. We can only find true satisfaction in the Spirit. Everything else will pass. And that is only possible in the Spirit. Jonathan goes on to say, the Spirit enables us to be whole persons. And the Spirit in this series and you know, it doesn't matter that when there's people in this church who have come from backgrounds where you've got no faith backgrounds, we've got people from Catholic backgrounds, Orthodox backgrounds, Presbyterian backgrounds, Anglican backgrounds, Salvation Army backgrounds, Pentecostal backgrounds, Methodist backgrounds, I could go on, Baptists, of course. And so we all bring these concepts around the Spirit. Some people are like, hey, why isn't everyone dancing? Let's just go crazy. Other people are like, oh, I'm freaking out. Some people go like, okay, this spirit thing is this means that I don't want to do this, but this means that like I'm going to be down the front, my jumper, spinning in circles or falling over. Spirit does different things at different times. But that's honestly like getting fixated in a wedding on what the cake tastes like, or what fabric the dress is made out of, or what print, you know, paper size that the invitations were sent out on. So we don't want to be bridezillas of the spirit. So it just came to me. See, the most creative life lived. You can just come up with stuff like that. The wedding is actually about the union of two people and the life that can come out of that. It's not about the details. When you pray, you might feel nothing. Like there's times where literally people have prayed for him, like, okay, whatever. And then in the weeks and months and even years later, I can see that slow release fruit happening in my life. Other times, there has been weird supernatural things. I've, I've shook and spoken in tongues and different things. But it doesn't matter. What actually matters is they're just details. It's actually what the Spirit is doing in you. This is actually what this whole series is about, that if we're going to be people of impact, if we're going to be people who are fully human in the 21st century, we need the Spirit. Thank you. 
That's good. Like, bring it on. And what that also means is, not just as individuals, because think about that imagery. The Spirit comes down like in almost a torrent of fire, which then separates, separate but connected. What it means to is that when heaven and earth come together, we are a new people of God. That's the church. The church is when you take this disparate group of hungry and humble people with not a whole lot left, who have been following Jesus, and then over that, the Spirit comes, this is the moment the church is born. Today is the church's birthday. This thing is, is, is what we're doing here is actually the conception of that moment 2,000 years ago in that upper room. And you know, I've been around church years. I have done over 20 years in ministry, which is frightening, been around church for many years. I've seen it all. Seen it all. Heartbreaks, divisions, brilliant things. The poor fed, people coming to faith. But you know what I realize about church? Like, like, I am not some crazed ideologue who just loves church, who's like, whoa, church. I know that what we're doing here is utterly impossible or just rubbish without the Spirit. We can't do this without the Spirit. The 21st century, red, like forget even the rest of the church, like forget all the church and all their problems out there. Look at just red. Red's story, I've said this before, I wish I could say, we had this great plan back in 2009 or whatever, and we just implemented it. Honestly, the Spirit has almost like, just going, that's nice guys, whatever, I'm going to do this. We were honestly 20 disparate people in an upper room at Box Hill with a staircase covered in pigeon poo. And like, it wasn't some moment where like, we had some second Pentecost and we're all on fire. The Spirit has been changing and moving stuff. We can't do this without the Spirit. We can't bring three different congregations together. Just be like, oh, well, it's the five and there's the ten and we're out of east and we're over here and you guys are there and we're all this, like, whatever. Actually, this only happens when we're called together through the Spirit and we don't become bridezillas of the church. Bang. Uh, um, this is going to become the Bridezilla sermon. I can see it now. I'll stop now. I'm not going to do any more. What did Mark speak about? I just Bridezillas or something? It was good, I think. But what's so exciting is when the Spirit does come, great things happen. We're in this to see people transformed. The church is here to actually see you transform and see you come fully alive. It's not just to sit here and be part of some club because your folks did or you should go or whatever. Like, boring. You can be bothered. Like, there's Netflix. Like, the reality is, we've come together because God wants to show heaven on earth through the church. And so that's the journey. And God has been doing great things in the last month as we're pushed into the Spirit, and He's going to do even more things. The stories that we're hearing in the church we're pushed into more as people being healed emotionally, people being healed physically, people in the last few months like fostering kids, people going and spending time with marginalized children at primary schools nearby, people hearing about Jesus for the first time, money being released as people are generous to other people. This is just the beginning stuff of what God wants to do. Who can be bothered building a brand or whatever? Let's just use the resources that we have to actually facilitate that heaven and earth meeting and us doing that together as the church. And lastly, point three, when heaven and earth come together, 
It's honestly like these guys get a battery pack of super energy on their back. Like Peter, who's like just getting it wrong all the time. What does he do straight away? Peter, Mr. Doubter, Mr. Running Away, cursing himself by denying God, not cursing him, but denying God when he said he wouldn't. Peter, who's getting it bumbling all the wrong. Like all of a sudden the spirit comes and like, I'm now Mr. Preacher Man. I'm just preacher man. I'm a Galilean, like, like tradie in the fish industry. And now I'm just like giving the most killer meta drama of scripture speech. Like I'm, I'm on, people are like, you're drunk. No, you ready? Like he's just preaching literally on a corner as people are laughing at them, thinking that they're drunk. And he just does this incredible speech where he's pulling in all bits of like different visions of the past and prophetic words and scripture. And it's like, who are you? Where did you come from? Because he got a new power. And actually when heaven and earth meet and the Spirit comes, the Spirit comes what? To empower. The Spirit comes to empower us, A, as the church, as the people of God in the world, but also where you are. We can't, you need empowering to do the most basic of human things. I am going to be a grumpy whatever dad without the Spirit. I'm going to be a rubbish church leader. I'm not going to be a great husband. I'm not going to be a great citizen. I can't do these things. I've got some good discipline. I think I'm quite an organized person with different things. But I cannot do it to the level that things need to be done without the power. And the same is with you. You cannot continue living your life on one bar left on the battery of your life. You actually need empowering. Red Church needs empowering for what we need to do. We need power. If the gospel is going to be heard in this country and the church is going to turn around and we're going to see a new day, which I believe is coming, it's going to come to those who are hungry, humble, ready, and can no longer do it in their power, no longer the spirit of Babel trying to get heaven down in our own strength. It's those who come and want to be empowered in the Holy Spirit. So when heaven and earth meet, that's when the spirit comes. Let's just read on. Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, fearing Jews. Notice they're God-fearing. They're not like just, these people actually fear God. They're, they're devout. From every nation under heaven. God has ordained this for this moment. You've got a whole bunch, if God wants to spread the church into the world, he does it at a moment where there's a religious festival where people have moved there for a week or two from all over the world, the known world at that time. They're also Jews who are going to get what Peter's talking about, who already are hungry for God. This is like God implanting the seed now for it to go out. No longer does it come into Jerusalem. It's now going outwards. The missionary movement begins here. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together. So this isn't just like these guys are having some vision because they're depressed and their Savior's dead. Like outside, people are hearing this, this roar of fire. So a crowd comes together in bewilderment. Like, what is this? Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Notice this term, utterly amazed. Now that's so key. Because at the beginning of the Gospels, when the people saw Jesus' ministry, they were amazed. Now, they're seeing the disciples, who were fairly rubbish during the Gospels, empowered, new creations, and now the people are amazed at the humans filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a huge change. They asked, aren't you who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us here knows our native language? Parthian, Medes, Elamites, 
Portuguese, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Crazy. Amazing. But the next bit is really interesting. Now, remember, these are not like cynical yobbos who don't believe in anything, hanging out in Jerusalem looking for trouble. These are God-fearing Jews who spent money and time to leave their work and families to come to Jerusalem. But listen to what some, some are amazed and others say this. Some, however, verse 13, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Now, I've always looked at that as almost like this sense of unchurched people, like looking at this and like whatever. But the reality is that what this is is actually a religious statement. This is a statement coming from religious people. And this is a statement of people who want God. There's an element that they still want to retain control and they're looking at it like this. Not stepping in, looking at it from a distance. Like, oh, what is it? Are they drunk? Instantly going to the cynical. Instantly going to a negative perception. I just want to end with this picture. We, two years ago, had a house renovated. And you move out of your house, and it's renovated, and it's ripped to bits, and you get there sometimes, and you're like, oh my goodness, it looks like it's been blown up in a bomb. How can this ever be made into something new? And then there's that point where you're given the keys, and you've got this brand new, like, renovation, it's wonderful, everything's like clean and it works and it's just so exciting and new, total new creation. Unformed mass, and there's bits where I remember my house, I literally turned up and Steve, who uh, comes here, was you know, building it and it's just like, it's just, this is an unformed mass, like, it's just walls ripped out and plaster and like, how do you ever put this thing back together again? But, new creation, remade, totally different. Now I've got a choice at that point. I either take the keys and move in and accept the new creation and fully dwell in it, or in my backyard, there's a shed. Now, that's not my shed. (laughs) But I can also live in the shed. Get a little bed from Bunnings, lay down on the ground, and go, I'm not going to live in the new creation. I've got this whole thing built for me. It's there. It's waiting to be inhabited. But I'm going to... Is that wine? Are people drunk? It's going to live in what I know. Sometimes the worst is tolerated because it's all you know. And I believe what the Spirit is saying today is God has changed you. God loves you. God has remade you. God has a vision of you living in the Spirit in a completely new way. You are a new creation in Christ. You are remade. Don't live in the old shed. There is a Spirit-filled reality to now dwell in and enter into. So there's two types of people. There's those who are like, we're amazed, this is awesome, we want to step into it, we're hearing the people speaking our language. There's other people like, this is drunk, I'm going to watch from back here. And I believe it's time to get out of our sheds. Move into the house. We're going to move now into a time of ministry, of worship. 
we're going to move into a time. We deliberately created some space at the front here because we believe that God wants to move and people want to respond. Again, as Trudy prayed at the beginning of the service, if you were coming in, there's no expectation here. Like, like there's no human expectation. There's a hunger. There's no expectation of what this feels like. Like, don't mark this on. Don't be the bridezilla of the Spirit. I expect this to happen or that to happen. Just be hungry. Just be humble. Step forward with anticipation and openness. Don't put your human expectations on it. Let's just wait on the Spirit and what God wants to do. So let's stand. It's going to pray the oldest prayer in the church. So simple, so powerful. We know the Spirit's here, but we pray this to ask Him to come to us. Not into the world, not into the room. He's here, but Holy Spirit, come. Come into us. We need to be shown that we're new creations in you. We need to be molded in your image. Spirit, do that. Change us into likeness. Spirit, Red Church needs you. We need to be empowered by you. We can't do this. We can do some nice little organized religious activities, but we need you to be a breakthrough force in the world, showing your heaven on earth. Father, we need your power. I want to pray in Jesus' name now that actually you'll release gifts. You'll release power. You will exponentially speed up people's spiritual development at this moment. That you will go to battle against places which need to be torn down in our lives, places where we don't want to breathe in, where we refuse the oxygen mask. The Holy Spirit come now.